This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Glenn Hatchell, returning for the sixth installment of Ask the Trainer. You may recall that about a year and a half ago, we conducted something of an experiment, trying out an extended new segment called Ask the Trainer. And the trainer in this case was, of course, Glenn Hatchell. A former WMNF programmer, Glenn is an accomplished dog trainer and behaviorist and currently works as the Behavior and Enrichment Manager at the Humane Society of Tampa Bay. In that initial show and the five similar shows we presented subsequently, we invite listeners to call or email in with questions about their dogs or cats, behavior or training, and Glenn has then responded. People seem to really appreciate the help and guidance Glenn provided, and of course the information he offered was simultaneously helpful to many of those listening. So we now present Ask the Trainer every three or four months or so, including today, today being something of a, I guess you could say a holiday gift to listeners. So we again invite those listeners to call in at 813-239-9663. We've learned that phone calls tend to work better, be a little bit more effective because they enable Glenn to ask the caller follow-up questions, more precisely assessing the issue and then better calibrating his recommended solution. Still, for listeners unable to call or just prefer to go the other route, we will, of course, aim to incorporate questions submitted by email at dj at wmnf.org or via text 813-433-0885. So please feel free to call or email now while Glenn and I talk for a few minutes, and we'll start taking some of those questions and responding accordingly. So let's now welcome Glenn Hatchell to Talk Animals. Glenn, good morning again. Good morning, Duncan. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for joining us again for this uh, sixth edition uh, already now of Ask the Trainer. So uh, that's cool and impressive, and it really seems like a nice thing to offer listeners. And uh, so, and I'm glad you're keeping count because I thought it was eight. So Wow. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Maybe I lost track of it, too, somewhere along the line. But, uh, no, no, no. I think we, anyway. No, I think we're at six sounds right. Okay. Sounds right. Like you said, we target for once a quarter, but it's good to be back. Good to chat. Yeah. No, and this seems like also a good time of year because there's other kinds of issues that might be more specific to the holidays or people making some plans or changes in their household population of animals, et cetera. So. Well, and also traveling. You know, a lot of people at this time are traveling. Right. Some take their pets, but it's also, I know from having used to have a pet sitting business that um, this was absolutely, this was the time of the year that you made your big bulk of money because so many people traveled and needed pets. But now that I'm on a, a different avenue, a different side of the fence or a different street within um, the animal world, <clears throat> I see a lot of stray animals here at the Humane Society of Tampa Bay. So we're not the, we're not animal control. There's Hillsborough County Animal Control that actually, you know, is responsible um, for strays and such, but we've got an agreement with them that because of, you know, geographic location being a really big factor in our facility, that we can accept stray um, animals here. And I wanted to just take the first opportunity today to really strongly encourage everyone to get your animals 
microchipped because there are, and I think <clears throat> I, I see the data holding like that, and I think I saw an ASPCA study over the years that's never really changed too much from it, that about two-thirds of the animals that come into a shelter do come in as stray animals, lost and found animals. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that that is, I mean, that, it is a major problem. And, and again, we always have strays coming in. One of the challenges from, you know, caring for the animals is you never know on a day if you're going to get two or if you're going to get 22. You know, I mean, we've yeah. taken as many as 100 animals in on a single day here at the Humane Society. Oh, my goodness. Now, granted, that was completely off the charts, and there were a lot of other factors, and it's not all lost and founds, but, you know, it's... <clears throat> The, 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 actually, where I was going with that point, though, about two-thirds of them, and I wish I could remember the figure now, but it's actually a small percentage of those who are chipped. But the ones that are chipped, it's like 90% get reclaimed and get back into their homes. So it just, you know, there's two basic things. Obviously, I, 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 I come from a behavior point of view, but none of that matters if you you can't find your dog <laughs> one or cat you know i mean it applies you know to cats as well sure but um but also then the annual vet visit it's so critical for the animals because we see them come in and you can tell some of these animals needed a little more regular attention than they got from a medical aspect and uh, one of the reasons is that, again, having them checked out, that sometimes we think a dog's got behavior issues, but it actually turns out to be some underlying medical condition. So, you know, all of a sudden the dog doesn't like to be touched at the face. Well, maybe it's not that he's uncomfortable, or maybe it's not a problem with hands coming to the face, but maybe it's a toothache or an earache or something, you know, I'm using an obvious point there, but sometimes with a dog, if they've got an earache, we may not realize it until we go to touch the ear and all of a sudden the dog turns and snaps at us. Mm. So it, you know, it's easy to think of that being, it's a behavior problem, but I mean, really, if you, if you, if, if you have a pound, you know, if you've got a really tough pain and somebody comes up and pokes you in it, you know, you're going to react a little bit from that. Yeah. Um, but so there's a couple of tangents through there. But again, in my mind, as I'm thinking, chip your animal because you never know if they get away from you, whether it's the lawn person, that leave, new lawn person leaves the gate open, which is a very common kind of thing. Yeah. Or, you know, I see it quite frequently. We a dog is chipped and we get in touch with the owner and they had somebody walking, uh, watching the dog while they were out of town. And they didn't even know the dog had gotten out. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's just it's it's such an easy thing to do, and it's also you know I mean there's signs all over town all the time talking about you know the low cost and you know chipping that are happening on you know at different times. It's easy and and very inexpensive. Uh, yeah, for but, sure. 
Again, the vet, the vet visit, the animals got to have that regular bit because they're not going to tell us when things are hurting, and, and animals are great at masking pain. So, so that's kind of what I wanted to talk about to start with. That you know, from that, then we can start working on the behavior kind of things. But sure. you've got to know that you know that they're alert and responsive and breathing normally and those kind of things. Right. Well, a couple of things, and again, for people who might just be tuning in, this is um, another edition of Ask the Trainer. The trainer being Glenn Hatchell on Talking Animals on W. If you have a question about uh, your dog's or cat's behavior or maybe a training issue, Glenn is fielding those questions. We've got a couple emails that have come in and uh, you can also call 813-239-9663 or email yourself at dj at wmnf.org or via text 813-433-0885. And, um, and yeah, you know, Glenn, about the uh, the chipping thing and, and the strays, I live in an area that slightly rural, kind of equestrian-oriented, and I don't know if those are factors in this or not, but dogs seem to be getting out a lot. So you see on, you know, various social media sites, whatever, like, hey, there's a dog in my yard. I don't, I don't know this one looks friendly. You know, just constant comments. But one of the through lines, which I, why I'm bringing this up, is that there's a really nice woman that's, I think, either a vet or a vet tech that lives in that area who often, as soon as something like that pops up, she says, Okay, well, I can come, you know, scan the chip and we'll find the owner. So that's nice for her to frequently volunteer her time to do that and to solve this that way. But if that dog or cat in some cases, I guess, doesn't have any kind of chip, then what? You're sunk. Exactly. Pretty much you are. I mean, there's really not. I mean, that's dead in on the chip. You just hope that there is something. And you make a really good point about social media. We have had a number of dogs who... Because we know, you know, in Hillsborough County, pretty much we know like the cross streets of where the dogs are found. Quite often, they have been found because somebody in that neighborhood, you know, recognized it or knew, you know. But you're right. If there's no information on that animal and nobody comes forward to claim them, then that's, you know, we'll get the dog checked out medically and behaviorally and put them up for adoption, you know. Which uh, uh, sometimes can lead to... Bad result, which we've heard about over the years on this show, and I'm sure you deal with it there not infrequently, where for whatever reason the dog's not chipped but does have a home, and people try everything they can to find that home or that owner, and then they don't succeed, especially because it's not chipped. And then they go through the normal procedure of like, well, eventually we put this dog up for adoption. It gets adopted, and then, you know, three days later, the original owners come looking for it. Yes. That's uh, awkward to say the least. And again, it could be Correct. so easily avoided by just chipping your animal. So, yep. Uh, yep. All right. Well, let's, let's uh, get into one of our first uh, questions. This is by email. It says, I dog sit quite frequently and have a dog that will not go up my stairs. I work at home upstairs and she seems so lonely downstairs. Plus, my bedroom is upstairs. Any ideas on how to get her to go up the stairs? Try treats and her owner even tried when she was there. Nothing. Well, treats were my first thought was to try to do something like that to <clears throat> to get her to head up. Um, um, maybe if there's toys. So treats are one thing, obviously, because that's food. We don't have to really, well, it's everybody, everything eats. So it, we don't have to get the dog a positive association to food. But I would think if, if by chance the dog's in toys, try using a toy to encourage them to get upstairs. Um, and the other thing, I know this is going to sound kind of silly, but I, I a lot of would this is going to sound kind of silly, but basically I would probably try squatting down on four on my own, on my fours and 
trying to do one step at a time and see if I could get the dog to follow me. Just something to kind of get that first step going because, you know, that's something we hear. That's sometimes the biggest challenge is to get that first step going. So kind of, kind of lead by example then, Glenn, it sounds like you're saying? That's, that would be one way to put it, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. But you could also go, since, since this obviously is a big challenge for whatever reason for getting the dog to go up, is try something much more than just a treat. So maybe it's going to be, I'm going to think whipped cream, or uh, just want to make sure about the sugars on the whipped cream. That whipped cream actually is safe for cats, and I'm pretty sure it's safe for dogs as well. Um, or, you know, liverwurst or, you know, something that's going to be so sky high that the dog never gets and probably has never had before, but it's edible. Yeah. you like, well, I'm scared to go up there, but if you're going to give me, you know, a piece of a hamburger, then, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll start making that way up. Those so that is, the, that is one of the other things I would try is something that we would call really, really high value yeah. on the on the food scale. All right. But that can be a challenge because there could be multiple reasons why the dog's hesitant to go up. It might be the stairs. It may be, you know, the change in the lighting, um, which also I would, one thing I would think would be to try it at different times of the day. See if maybe there is a lighting aspect. Yeah, some kind of shadow or something else that maybe Perhaps. is presenting a Perhaps. barrier visually or something. Yep. Yeah, And, of course, I would also, um, the first question really that comes to mind is, does the dog normally do stairs, or is this the first set of stairs the dog's ever seen? So yeah. that, that, if, that puts a different bend on how one would approach it as well. For sure. Okay, cool. Well, that sounds good. Let's, uh, let's take a call. Again, we're doing Ask the Trainer. This is Glenn Hatchell on Ask the Trainer. And again, we're welcoming calls at 813-239-9663. If you do call in, I'll just probably put you on hold quickly without even answering the phone initially. And then you might have to be on hold for a, a moment or two, but we will get to you for sure. Just as we're going to get to this one. And you can also, as an option, email at dj at wmnf.org or text if you'd like uh, to 813-433-0885. Okay. So that said, let's uh, say hi. You're on Talking Animals with Ask the Trainer and Glenn Hatchell. Hi. Um, my name is Bob from Kenneth City. And um, I know we're talking about the dog that wouldn't go up the stairs. We have a little dog, and uh, we have a house with a two-story. And he will not go up the wooden stairs. Now, if there's stairs with carpeting on them, he does not have a problem with that. Hmm. So I didn't know if that caller that was saying their dog wouldn't go upstairs because uh, sometimes the wooden stairs are too slippery exactly. for some of the smaller dogs. Yep. So that's all I was going to say is if the if they uh, if the stairs are too slippery, maybe they could try putting some kind of carpet or something on them to make them uh, more less slippery. That's all. Yep. <laughs> okay. Exactly. That's Thanks. a great idea, Bob. Thanks for your call. Okay. But, yeah, Bob's right on there, and that's 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 the point. It's like, well, there could be multiple reasons why you know the dog's not going up the stairs. But it's fun to it's fun to you know for, that's one of the things I find fun about it. Fun about it is <clears throat> this um, this game to figure out how do we have to arrange things to get the dog to do what we need him to do. And once we find that, sometimes it's like a carpet. It's like okay, then we'll just use this set of stairs. Yeah. Well, coincidentally, we've got a. a Emailer William from Lutz, WNF supporter, is saying, I've used a carpet-covered ramp on stairs. So people are go. thinking much the uh, much the same thing. So that's yep. great. Thank yep. you, William. Appreciate that. Okay, let's uh, 
get to another one of our emails here. I've got a 16-year-old Jack Russell. His breath is horrible, so we think he has bad teeth. The last time we had them cleaned, he had a difficult time with the anesthesia. Is it bad or painful for the dog to not do anything? Um, you know, that's a me- that's <clears throat> I'm not medically trained, so uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, if the dog's not if he's not exhibiting pain, then you know, or doesn't seem to mind anything, then you know, there's absolutely a valid point as far as if he struggled with the anesthesia, then obviously, you know, that's not something I would ever do again with my dog. Um, you know, and if he's not in any pain, then you know, I mean, with my dog, I wouldn't do anything with it. You know, and about the breath, you know, you can do other things, but. Yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> some dogs have worse breath than others. So, Glenn, um, as far as uh, the anesthesia, again, especially with an older dog, that that's, that's obviously brings a much higher risk. So are you saying that just because of the age factor, you wouldn't go that route or for other reasons as well? Uh, well, I mean, all all everything you're talking about there is is, is medical kind of things, and yeah. I, that's well with that's that's outside of my lane, way outside of my lane. So, thinking from my own dog, you know, if I think of it as a dog owner, you know, I just know that you know the owner, the older a dog gets, then the more susceptible they are to anesthesia, you know. So. You know, then it becomes kind of that own personal, you know, risk bit that you would want to, you know, take with your dog and priority, necessity, you know. I mean, if it was to save the life would be one thing to put them under, but if it was to clean their teeth, you know, I don't know that I would take yeah. that risk with my dog, for example. I guess that's 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 the point of what I was saying there. For sure. Well, one thing that occurs to me that uh, I don't know that much about, and you probably know certainly more than I do, but one thing that pops up periodically on the show, and sometimes we've done a brief uh, interview uh, about these kind of companies, they they do teeth cleaning of, of a sort, I guess, that the whole premise is that it doesn't involve anesthesia. So I don't know if they, they're limited in some ways by how, how much cleaning they can do compared to a dog that that was under anesthesia. But that's, uh, I guess, there's kind of... Their selling point, I guess, among others, is that the dog that would come to their clinic or it might be a weekend thing at a certain location, a vet's office or somewhere else or a rescue, whatever, uh, is that those dogs can have their teeth cleaned, but um, but they would not undergo anesthesia. Huh. Well, I know as a kid I hated having shots, and I would always go to the dentist and refuse the Novocaine, and I would take the pain. So There you go. <laughs> So uh, this is um, Ask the Trainer. Again, we're speaking with Glenn Hatchell. He's, the, um, of course, a former WNF programmer here, but also has become an accomplished dog trainer and behaviorist and currently works as the behavior and enrichment manager at the Humane Society of Tampa Bay. And so we're doing one of those shows where people are invited to call in at 813-239-9663 or email dj at wmnf.org or... You can also text 813-433-0885 and ask questions about your dog's behavior, training, cat questions. Uh, I'm not sure how much further we extend into the uh, animal kingdom, but those are certainly our focus points. And um, so while we're uh, 
Waiting for our next question. I'm just going to tell people a few things that are happening over the next few Wednesdays here on Talking Animals since we're now into the holiday season. So so next Wednesday, we're going to do the Talking Animals annual Christmas animal song special. So we've done that for a dozen years or more, and it's all animal-related holiday, holiday songs. And, uh, and then we have other familiar facets like over-explaining the premise of the show, which I relish, and... Um, and the traditional reading of the Dorothy Strauss um, Christmas message. So that's next Wednesday, the 21st here. Animal song special. So and, uh, and then uh, the 28th, I'll be gone. Actually, for the next couple of Wednesdays, the 28th and the 4th, I'll be gone. Our beloved Bev, who typically hosts Talking Animals in my absence, is contending with some, some medical challenges. She's doing well. She's much, much better, so everything's okay, but she's not hosting shows at the moment. So uh, for sure, the 28th, Randy Wynn will be in, presenting a show focused on horses, and I think he may be in again on um, the 4th. Uh, so we'll confirm that next week while we're here. And then I'll return January 11th with a special show featuring singer-songwriter, animal champion Kathleen Edwards, who will join me in studio for conversation. She'll play some of her animal songs and maybe other songs. We'll discuss some forthcoming shows she's performing, including one in St. Pete, which is about to be announced, I believe. And uh, so I'm lo- really looking forward to this. So that's January 11th, Kathleen Edwards in studio here on Talking Animals on WMNF. So let's take yeah. another call. Hi, you're on Hi. Talking Animals with Glenn Hatchell. Ask the trainer. Hi. Hi. Great. I got your program thing up. Okay, so so I've heard you guys. And, um, you know, appreciate what you're doing. And but what I don't hear is like, if you just like ask the animals, like just like the doctor do little thing, like just talk to them, like say, hey, what's up? You know, just like what's up? You know, is, is that reasonable or? Well, it's reasonable if you understand the answers that are coming from the animal. Yeah, but I mean, if you, you look at the animal, you look at him and or her, and you just like, hey, like, what's up? Or like, just, I mean, they're really smart. You know what I mean? So they might just tell you what, what the heck's going on, you know? What do you think? Well, I would say that they, it's exactly what they do if you recognize the signals and how to read the signals that the animals are sending, such, yeah. as, a tail, such as a tail wag. Right necessarily mean the dog's happy it depends on the position of the tail and the movement of the wag good point yeah so right if someone who is trained and understands how to read it um i would venture to say a lot of us probably do that but for the average companion animal owner uh there's too many subtle there's too many subtle signs in animal communication for the for the typical animal companion animal owner to read and understand what the dogs are saying. Right, I, and, I, to, and I, to, I totally agree with that. But you got to start somewhere. It's, it's like men and women. You know, you got to like, oh my god, like what do I well, do no, now? Well, no, because it's not. It's two different species. <laughs> it's not. It's two different oh. species. Dogs, okay, dogs right. oh, or oh, humans. Okay. Right. Okay, I think we're going to move on, but yeah, thank you. But uh, I'll just add, uh, as much as it was kind of very playful and hilarious and stuff, um, to further answer on a more serious level, one thing that we often talk about on this show, and you and I have talked about a number of times, Glenn, is how stoic animals can be when there's something seriously wrong with them. So 
Actually, and you're right, it, it was it was playful. I wasn't sure which way that was going to go, but I think it was playful. But it actually is a really good point because there is a term that some people have heard, um, but it's called anthropomorphism. And that's where we basically, I like to think of it as I'm taking my experience as a human being and assuming that something else is feeling the exact same way that I do. So whether it's another person, you may think that, you know, you're standing in there on a bridge and you're thinking you're scared and you just assume maybe they are, you don't know. Well, the problem with anthropomorphizing is people will look at an animal and think because of how that animal may be presenting themselves, they will try to attach a human emotion to it, which is absolutely incorrect. And I think the a good example of that is what somewhat what people call the guilty look when the um, <clears throat> the dog is standing there, the ears are back a little bit, the head's kind of down, it's crouched, you know, the tail's down. You kind of do you have that image of that guilty look? Um, that's actually um, active submission. That's really a submissive pose of a dog that's in extreme fear at that point. So I like to use that as an example of you're looking at the dog. The dog's fearful and unsure, and we have a tendency as humans to think that's a guilty look because that's what we would do as humans of we drop our shoulders and lower our head and turn it away. But in our case, it's not fear-based, and it is in a dog's case. So that's why... It's playful, and it's a good way to think about it from what he said, but it's also the kind of thing that if somebody who doesn't know what they're doing decides that they do know what they're doing and take a next step, then I've got a chart that says I seldom bite out of the blue, but I usually give 12 warning signs that you ignore first, and that's kind of, I think, fits a little bit to this, so... But there is. It's funny when he said that. That's exactly what I do. When I'm talking to a dog, I mean, well, it also depends on the dog. A dog that's very fearful may want me to shut up and not do anything but body movement. So, you know, it depends on the animal. Yeah. All right. Let's take another call. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Glenn Hatchell. Let's ask the trainer on WMNF. Hi. Hi. Go ahead, please. Good. Hi, Glenn. My name's Beth Keeney, and we were gifted a dog from my daughter. We saw what a wonderful relationship she had with her that she got the year prior. So they're both cockapoos. Mine's a year younger, and she recently moved close by. And her dog follows every command and does it, but she leaves it with us sometimes. Suddenly, our little pup does exactly what her dog does. There's no way I could get her dog to stop barking and then mine will, mine will start. You know, and before, they would be quiet. But it's the influence of the older, bigger cockerpoo coming in. And, and if I, I don't know, if I correct it, I feel like her dog's kind of scared to, you know, I guess. I'm not sure. What, mm-hmm. What's the best way to deal with two dogs together when one's older and mine's not doing what it normally does? <laughs> um, so there's there are, well... <clears throat> This is one to where it probably about 17 follow-up questions to that, but I'll just kind of go in more, more of a more of a general kind of general kind of thought with this. Um, I would think about having times when they're both so when they are together, they're they're good. To, I mean, they like being with each other. Oh gosh, my little pup, 
she just grabs onto the older cockapoo's ear and just, you know, tags along with her. But she won't let go of her ear. But the older dog's okay with it. Oh, yeah, she's fine, but it's just nuts that she won't even let go of the other dog. It's cute as can be, but I feel if I yell at her dog to stop barking to me, the close neighborhood, then that just upsets it worse. And yeah, just yeah, yeah. Together, well, you have to be quiet. Right. Well, one, well, one of one of the things to think about it again. This is thinking about from again the difference in behavior, that behavior point of view versus a training point of view. There's a reason she's barking. So let's. So it could be that the other that your dog is there. She's excited. It could be different smells. Does she do it oh. when your daughter is there or not there? Does it matter? Okay, wait. That explains it. So she's barking because at my daughter's house, she's inside at my house. You can see directly out and see every squirrel on my fruit trees and oak trees, <laughs> and she runs out there barking at the squirrels. So okay, well, I mean, there and there's your trigger. So, um, I mean, that's basically, I mean, that's natural dog behavior right there. It's squirrel. There's a prey drive of, you know, I can take that down, especially with cockers and spaniels, because I mean, those are, <laughs> you know, those are. Um, those are absolutely working dogs, and I don't mean that from oh, a okay. breed aspect. I don't mean that from as far as breed or th- those lines like that, because honestly, I don't pay that much attention. <clears throat> That's not something that I'm focused on, so I normally couldn't tell you along that line. But I mean, as far as spaniels are dogs who very often are dogs who are bred to work. So there's a that innate bit in their DNA of wanting to. I mean, a lot of spaniels are hunting dogs. Um, <clears throat> so there's probably that pursuit there. Um, I mean, the the best thing is basically not to let not to let him be able to see the to see the um, squirrel when he's in on the inside. Now it could be outside. You get to get that out. But I mean, there's there's the bit of wanting to get at the the squirrel. So trying to train him or do something different to take the barking away while it's not being the squirrel. Um, that's that's a whole it doesn't other... bother our little puppy. And, <laughs> and we just wanted to know, is the behavior going to transfer, like, the, when they're not together? Is mine going to do it? And is the correction, you know, shooting them with a water pistol, is it, you know, doing a clicker? Is, you know, how do we correct dog, I guess? Um, I would, well, thing. actually, uh, there's, I would, <clears throat> I'm going to point you to the Humane Society's website because I have okay. out out on the um, on at humanesocietytampa.org um, under the services section there is a link to training resources and you will find um, you'll you'll find some links to a number of uh, to a number of articles some which may address to this a little bit but there's also a list of recommended consultants out there of trainers in the area. Um, I think of what you are looking to do is something that is easily trainable and just getting the energy focus somewhere else. Um, if the squirrels are out there, for example, and the dog can see them and bark about them, you can get a hose, and it's still not going to stop the dog from barking at the squirrels when he gets the access to it. Because that's the thing about it. the first thing of, of fixing a problem behavior is taking away the dog's ability to do the problem behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And as far as the mimicking, um, there's so many factors that would play into whether the young one will pick up the olders um, that it's just 
it's hard to say. Yeah, think of all those times your mom said, who are your friends? Friends <laughs> 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 might be bad. Well, thank you for your time, Glenn. I Th- thanks for your call. Tough. Appreciate right, it. Bye. Thank you so much. Hi, you're on Talking Animals. It's Ask the Trainer with Glenn Hatchell. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Good. How about you? All right. I'm sure you've never heard that question today. <laughs> um, I called in because he was talking about fearful or what I call scaredy dogs. I have one. He's five years old. We've done as much as we can do with him, and I'm okay with it. My question is, is I'm getting really fed up with uh, humans that think that no matter what I tell them, they're putting my dog in a bad position. And I don't let my dog, I don't force my dog to leave a room or leave where we're at because a human won't stop trying to touch him. And, oh, they'll, they'll love me. No, they don't. He's terrified of humans. So you got any ideas other than just yell at him to get away? <laughs> um, taser. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. No, I'm, um, I'm pretty close to it right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is. It is. It's absolutely frustrating. I've, I, I've been in that situation to where, um, it, it pe- yeah, people think, oh, and it's like, no. And literally, I have put up my hand and been a thing where, you know, they said, hey, sorry, you know, it, because I had that reaction. And exactly what you said, you, you know, the dog, the ears are down, the tail's tucked. It's like, oh, my God, somebody's coming towards um so there is, I'll tell you what I've found is that the best things that I've found is, and I'm, we may have even mentioned this last time, Duncan, there is a, I'll say an organization, they donate things to shelters frequently, which is how I learned about them, called Max and Leo. Mm. And Max and Leo have sleeves, um, uh, uh, leash sleeves that will Velcro on it that says, like, don't pet me, caution, different kind of um, different kind of wording and alerts on it and such. Um, and we actually will use those for some of the dogs around here at the shelter. It's not the easiest thing here, but I have done it at different times. Um, but, I mean, it says right on there, you know, do not pet me or something along that line. Um, that would be one idea that I would have. Beyond that, it's just, you know, yeah. like you said, you don't want to leave another room, but, you know, you just wanted to come hang out with your dog and be left alone. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have uh, two neighbors to break it down. One, I, I told her, I said, please step away from my dog. So she puts her face in his face, and I'm like, you know, I have to leave now because you just don't seem to get through your head. You're stupid. You put your face in front of a dog that's scared. I'm going to end up going to jail because I will not pay for the medical. And the other one, he's really good with the dog. The dog likes him. The other day he came out because we're on the front porch, and he started to step forward, and the dog went in a scaredy routine. I grabbed the dog's collar, and then he goes, oh, yeah, that's Uncle Kit. It's okay. So, you know, I I realize it's different people, but I, I think I'm bringing this up so maybe some of your listeners can say, hey, you know, they said the dog was scared, not Maybe I'm not the best dog whisperer there is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 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 I watched Caesar do a uh, scaredy dog, and what he did on that scaredy dog was exactly what I've done on mine. And the last thing he said when the dog ran off is he says, you can only take him so far. Mm, the key thing with a fearful dog is to let them always make the choice whether to do it or not and not be forced into it. That's that's exactly. what will build 
that's what will build their resilience to know that they can handle those challenging situations. So that's one of the mistakes that a lot of people make with a fearful dog is they think, I'm just going to force him into it. You know, well, even from human therapy, it's been proven that, you know, that kind of stuff is not the best approach necessarily in the long term. <laughs> so, I, I especially with dogs. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Have a good, one. Thank you so much. good luck with Th- Thanks so much for your call. Okay, so again, this is uh, Talking Animals. Uh, we're doing another edition of Ask the Trainer with Glenn Hatchell. We're welcoming your calls at 813-239-9663. You can email dj at wmnf.org or you can text 813-433-0885. Glenn, uh, th- this last call reminded me of something I was going to ask you about if we had a chance because I saw this uh, social media post uh, the other day. And it has a picture of, like, a, a little girl leaning over, and there's a dog, and they're face-to-face. And it says, think this picture is cute? Look closely. And then there's a little description over the dog. Wild-eyed stare, ears pulled back, furrowed brow, tense, tightly closed jaw, stiffened posture. So then it says in the brief uh, accompanying sort of post, dog bites happen usually because we ignore the warnings, signals of discomfort that our dogs are trying to convey to us. Please be mindful of what the dog is trying to say. Please don't ignore them. Next step will be a warning growl. Please don't correct your dog for this. This is their way of saying that they're uncomfortable. Please respect it and move away gently. So I thought that was... Uh, spot was on. It? Yeah. That's spot on. Absolutely. Because dogs are going to send those signs. Sometimes they're very subtle. One of the first things that's in my class for staff and volunteers is keep your face away from the dog's face because that's where their teeth are. Yeah. And if you're going to get bit, the last place you want to be bitten is on your face. But we don't want to be bitten because, like I say, if they bite us and we're out, then we can't take care of the animals, and the animals are depending on us to take care of them. So yeah. that's why it, it's, it's so important. But I wanted to – so you're absolutely right. It is pay attention to the signs and – but also pay attention to the source of the information that you're getting. So if you find something on the internet that says, you know, do this, find out what that's based on, because probably somewhere within that post you were talking about, or if you did some of those searches, you could find some studies that were done that deter- you know, that determined that. So that empirical data of knowing that this has been, you know, this is there's been so much animal research done that you know there there are there are TV shows of people doing things with dogs that a professional trainer wouldn't do because it's just not based in <clears throat> evidence science. Yeah. <laughs> but of course that's the angle that I'm coming from and such. But I wanted to besides that tangent since we have been have a couple of things touched on this for those who are in Hillsborough County. If you Hillsborough County, I think, is one of the, if not the only county in the country that requires dog trainers to be registered with animal services. Mm. Um, and it's because of an incident that happened at a training facility and that and, um, it was, well, anyway, because of an incident that happened at a training facility several years ago. And if you want more information on that, you can search Hillsborough County Dog Training Ordinance and you're going to find out all about it. Um, but... On, at onhillsboroughcounty.org, if you search for truth and training ordinance, you will find a list of registered trainers in, in Hillsborough County. <clears throat> and if you're in Hillsborough County and pay somebody as a dog trainer, they are supposed to be on that list. 
and mm. there's certain they're supposed to identify to you what kind of how they will reinforce behaviors and how they will correct behaviors. And I would encourage people to always select trainers that use Lima, least intrusive, minimally aversive, or positive reinforcement to where it's that aspect of the dogs want to do what we want to do. We just have to set things up in the right situation for them to realize I'm safe. I can do this and they'll take that next step. Great thing is with 80% of the dogs, you know, they're companion animals. <laughs> they're wonderful. But then we've got those others that we are that we need the help with. So if you're in Hillsborough County, I think the truth, if you search truth in training ordinance on the Hillsborough County website, you'll find the list of trainers in Hillsborough County. So that list, Glenn, just so I'm clear, is just the list of trainers that have followed that uh, requirement to be registered. It's not necessarily uh, recommendations within that. It's just saying here's the trainers that have followed, who have complied with the, the requirement to be registered. Correct. Yeah. Well, basically, but if somebody charges you for dog training and they're not on that list, I mean, that's like ha- I mean, that's like having an unregistered business. I would. I mean, I don't. Here I am stepping out of my lane again. But it's kind of like I think there's something illegal about that. So I mean, yeah. it is required that if you are going to charge for a dog training in Hillsborough County, you have to be registered with the county. Right. So it's a bit of a filtering. It's not necessarily uh, people that are particularly recommended, but it's a bit of a filtering because they wouldn't be on that list otherwise. There are absolutely some people on that list that I would say you do not want to go to that facility. All right. Well, there's my follow-up question, which uh, I'm sure will go nowhere. (laughs) A few of those uh, not recommended, but... um, Correct. But, you know, do your research. Everybody's got their own, you know, like I say, we all come at it with our own experiences and they're all unique. And if we take a look at all those perspectives, then hopefully we're going to end up with a happy dog. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think we might have lost our other call. Let me see. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with, with Glenn Hatch on Ask the Trainer. Hey, yeah. So I just wanted to throw a reference out that I actually heard on your your radio station, which I love. So it's, um, have you guys heard about that Pulitzer Prize winning? I think he wrote about Covoid 19, and he's got a new book out on animal uh, perspectives, and the guy owns a corgi dog, but he talks about the perceptions and the abilities of animals, their sensitivities that, that go far beyond a lot of our senses. Are, are you guys familiar with that guy? He's a British dude, English accent. I can't remember what program he was on. It might have been on, like, Terry Gross or something, and she interviewed him, and he won the Pulitzer Prize for Cowboy 19. He's got this book out about animals, and he, he goes through... Ed, is it Ed Young? I don't know, but, I mean, the guy's, like, John brilliant, Bradford. and he's, I think it's, he's yeah, got I think a corgi it's dog. Do you know that one? Well, I think it's Ed Young because I I interviewed him on this show as well. He did win a Pulitzer for his coverage of the uh, of COVID for the. I mean, yeah. yeah. So that that might give people a perspective that, like these animals have. That's what I was trying to explain before. Is you know their senses are in in many cases far beyond our senses in terms of hearing and smelling and this and that. And so it's like they're not stupid. You know, they're, they're really, really intelligent, and they want to make yep. you happy, and, and so it's a relationship thing. Yep, very much right? so. Yep, okay, for that's sure. A, that's all I want to say. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks. No, I appreciate oh, your call. That's great. Yeah, and that, that Ed Young book is amazing in all kinds of it, ways, it for sure. It sounds really good. The guy sounds like he's, he's really knows what he's talking about. Yeah. I mean, he's done the research. For sure. Super, super <laughs> okay, smart. Thanks. That's great. Yeah. Thanks for your call. All right, Glenn. So we're in the home stretch. We want to just remind people one more time who might just be only tuning in and joining us now. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. Today we're uh, devoting 
the show to Ask the Trainer, a segment that uh, we ask uh, Glenn Hatchell, our resident expert on dog training and behavior, and uh, he's the Behavior and Enrichment Manager at the Humane Society of Tampa. He used to be a programmer here at WMNF. And, uh, we've done this uh, five times before, and people are invited to call in, 813-239-9663. Uh, email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. And you can ask uh, Glenn a question about your dog's behavior or about some training issue. Uh, cats are fair game as well. We've had some of those over the, these shows. And um, so we do these about uh, three or four times a year. And uh, so you're welcome to get in on our last uh, few minutes here before we have to say goodbye for today's show. So anyways, we'll um, welcome those calls one more time. 813-239-9663. And uh, DJ at WMNF.org or the, again by text at 813-433-0885. So, Glenn, um, anything else that we should talk about in terms of behavior, just generally addressing behavior, fixing a behavior? Well, we have well, a moment. You know, uh, throughout the, the shows and, and even today, in, in, in many of the cases, um, arousal is a big piece of what's going on with the dog. And, you know, that, that usually <clears throat> means that. Well, in the one case of Beth, um, you know, it was the squirrels outside. Um, it may be neighbors. It may be um, <clears throat> different things. One of the I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to use a brand name here because people are familiar with it. Thunder shirt. Um, there are other types of calming shirts, but I'm just going to use Thunder shirt as a generic brand. When I started using those early on, um, it obviously was. For thunder, but what I realized is the way that thunder shirt wraps around and compresses or kind of gives a squeeze, it has a relaxing effect on the dog. And so often, when we're working, trying to work through a a behavior issue or a behavior problem, um, that one of the biggest challenges is to get the dog to relax to begin with and get them in a calmer state. And sometimes a thunder shirt can be effective for getting them in that different state because it's not – sometimes it doesn't have to be drastic. You know, it can just be just that little bit of relaxation <clears throat> that's going to be enough for the dog to make that next step that we want it to do. Um, so part of why I say that is with the holidays coming up, there's, there, you know, you may have people coming to your house more than normal or people that <clears throat> aren't known, or perhaps you are going to be going out of town and your dog's going to be, you know, there by themselves longer. The thunder shirts <clears throat> or calming shirts like that can, for some dogs, and I find them, <clears throat> excuse me, a high number of dogs it's effective on, may provide just enough to help your dog get through some of those tough moments. And it's not just, again, obviously I say that with Christmas coming up, but even some of what we've talked about today, you know, it may help with that cockapoo. I don't know if it would help with um, our first caller with a dog going up the stairs. Yeah. Uh, because that probably was more fear-based, and I don't, I don't know that, you know, that, that probably would not have made a difference there. But, again, thinking this is one of those of, 
think trying to give trying to think from the dog's perspective about what's going on with the dog right now where they're really amped up okay what can we do to maybe bring them down just a little bit other than taking them outside for a one mile run first you know yeah um so um i would encourage people that may have you have dogs that do struggle with it check out the thunder shirt you know okay and again i'm using that i'm using that as that generic term because there are other calming shirts that have come on the market um so <clears throat> i'm not recommending one i'm not recommending it by saying that i'm just using that because that's the only brand name that comes to mind right now that people would recognize gotcha well of course now that we have only about a minute or two left in the show we've got a full phone bank of uh, calls and um and one email that i'll ask Our quickly plan worked. right well yeah unfortunately now we're not going to get to most of these yeah. callers it's a shame maybe but they uh, think it's marathon yeah well yeah maybe they're donating but uh anyways one one quick question that came in by email that maybe is easier quicker to address then we'll try to get at least one of these calls on i wonder if your guest has any tips on trying to get your dog used to a new bed smelly shirt question mark that could yep things that are those familiar smells um or a smelly shirt or it could even be a dog's blanket if they've got some blankets they lie on okay actually an easy, i mean one of the first things to try cool okay let's try to take one quick call we might have time for one yep maybe. Oh, okay quick answers okay hi you're on talking animals it's uh ask the trainer with Glenn natural go ahead please hi i'm gonna make this really fast melanie in sun city center i have a dog a sheltie terrier mix and he is all the terrier hurting things and kill them type of dog he was mm-hmm. abused by a man and he's very fearful of men i've got him over most of it but he does not like large men looming over him to the point that he tried to bite a vet tech at the vet and now he's got a big red mark on his file Mm -hmm. so i'd like to take him to a trainer should i take him to a big man um well that that's a great question and it's hard to say because it just that that may work out okay um I wouldn't necess- I would look for the right trainer and not necessarily l- worry about that because you can find a large person to be able to do this with. But I think part of it with with something like this hovering over is a big thing. So one of the first things we teach everybody here when you're greeting a dog for the first time, you either have fists closed or palms open and you just put them down and let the dog approach you. And if the dog does not approach you, you keep walking. So you yeah, could also, you could try to do some coaching to people that are coming up, especially if it's a large man saying, oh, put your hands down and stop there. Let him come up to you first. Yeah. And I, I do all of that. He's very reactionary, squirrels, other dogs. So uh, well, I got him yeah. to the point now that he will sit when he sees another animal. I have treats with me. He gets rewarded. He's come, he's light years of where he was when I got him 18 months ago, but Mm -hmm. he's got that, you know, 10% to go. Yep. Okay, we got about 15 seconds max. I'm sorry. Good luck, Melanie. Okay, thank you. Thanks for your call, (laughs) Melanie. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. So I'm sorry for others that called. We'll catch up with you probably next time. I'm guessing maybe we'll do this again in March, wouldn't you think, Glenn? Somewhere, somewhere in that. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. So, again, thanks for all your great answers and help. That's been Glenn, Glenn Hatchell. He's, again, at the Humane Society of Tampa Bay. We appreciate his help. And this is Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Scott Elliott's up next after five minutes of NPR News headlines. We'll see you next week with the Talking Animals and Holiday Animals special. Thanks.